Hey, everyone. Before we get started with this episode and our sixth year of doing the show, we wanted to dedicate not only this episode, but this entire year's worth of episodes to Matt Carey. Matt was a listener and huge supporter of the show since the very beginning. Always had kind words for us and was so sweet and hilarious when we met him at Celebration Chicago. Our hearts are with his wife, his family, his friends, and everyone who loved him. What have you found that of overall the things, because we've got star tours in there and you got the Star Wars things that you've actually done hands-on and a little bit of executive producing, a little bit of everything. What is it you think you do best? What is your greatest contribution you can make to something? I think uh, at heart I'm a film editor, and that's where I can make my biggest contribution. I mean, that's what I know how to do the best. Uh, and um, uh, uh, I've edited a lot of my films, and uh, I'm always involved in the, in the post on everything that I've been involved with. And, and I think that's really my greatest gift. I started out as a film editor. To me, editing is what filmmaking is really all about, because it's a, the one time you get a chance to create something out of material and actually deal directly with an audience. All the other times you're, you're sort of generating material or supplies. It's like uh, making a film is like buying lumber or cutting down trees and making, making wood out of it, where editing is like actually constructing a house. I mean, you actually can see it, you can see what you're doing and deal with it. Everybody says, you know, well, the script doesn't work, but we'll fix it later. And he said, well, we're shooting this, but it isn't really working, but we'll fix it in the editing. Well, the editing is where it's got to be fixed. If it doesn't work there, the movie doesn't work. So that's, to me, the most exciting part. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. We're back. Year six. It's crazy to think about. It doesn't feel like six years, but when you think that we started just like weeks after The Force Awakens came out, then it makes it feel like yeah, it has been six years. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's come out since then. But it kind of it kind of feels longer than six years. Really? Well, I was thinking about that too, because it's like also we were doing the podcast when there wasn't the podcast. <laughs> well, that's true. It's since, since like 1997. Yeah, since 94, probably since I since we moved to Grand Rapids. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So yeah. So nothing. Nothing really changes. But it's like when you scroll through like our list of episodes, 
It's like, oh boy. <laughs> there really are almost 300 of these things here. That's like when when the uh, the re- record player with Tales of the Jedi came out and was like, ooh, what are they going to do with Tales of the Jedi? And then I think later that day you posted that we had an episode on Tales of the Jedi, and I couldn't remember ever doing that episode. <laughs> it's quite the backlog. Quite the backlog. Go to BlastPointsPodcast.com with handy-dandy search feature. You can search for all of our back episodes. but You can, you can search for Tales of the Jedi and see what I missed. Well, I'm excited to be starting this sixth year of Blast Points. It's going to be a a crazy year for Star Wars. We've got our 300th episode coming up, which is going to be really fun. Yeah, we're finally back. We took our long extended break. We're in the back to tank, (laughs) dreaming of the past, preparing ourselves, getting stronger. Well, we got Attack of the Clones year, which would have been reason enough for excitement without Book of Boba still coming, Kenobi still coming, Bad Batch might be coming, Andor might be coming, maybe Mandalorian season three, maybe Star Wars celebration. It's a lot, just a lot happening. It's a big year for Star Wars nonsense. But this week, we are so excited to be back with a topic that we've been dying to do for a long time, the real changes of the original trilogy, the Q marks of the original trilogy. You might be saying, what the heck are you guys talking about? Gabe, what are we talking about here when we're talking about the Q marks, the real changes? So something that we take for granted now with digital projection at theaters is in the olden days when films were projected on film, all of the movie couldn't fit in one reel of film. So Every 18 minutes or so, they would have to swap out reels and to let the projectionist know when that was going to happen, a little dot would appear. Sometimes it was a dot, sometimes it was a different shape, but it would appear in the right upper right corner and it would flash for a second and then they would get the second reel ready, then it would flash again and then they would switch to a different projector with the different part of the movie. It's something if you're reading, you know, behind the scenes books or watching making of documentaries, you'll hear them talking about the reels. And it's not a single reel that they bring to the theater. It is multiple reels that make up a movie. And to make it even more confusing, when you're working on the movie, editing the movie, those reels are a traditional reel, which is about a thousand feet of film, which is about 11 to 15 minutes But at the theaters, because those reels of film are heavy and they are expensive to ship, they came up with something called a two-reeler, which was basically more or less double of that on one reel. So the reels for projecting at the theater are actually larger than the reels that they would be using to edit the movie and assemble the film while they're working on it. Everybody got that? Because it's going to be a test later. (laughs) This episode kind of relates to last year when we did the 100-minute marks in Star Wars, where we went through all the Star Wars movies and talked about what happened at the 100-minute mark of each of them and how they all kind of were related and how all the Star Wars movies follow a kind of a certain similar unique structure. So we're taking this concept of breaking down the original three movies by these real segments and 
talking about some of the similarities in the structure and in the pace of those original three movies. Yeah, because the concept of the reels is interesting because it's a technical limitation that kind of became a way to organize movies. And because they have to break the movies up into these reels and you don't want to switch reels in the middle of a scene or, or an important moment, the way the films are edited are kind of structured based on what reel it is. So some of the reasons you see some kind of similar structure to multiple films is they're kind of working in these 10 to 20 minute chunks. Um, and it's also was a way to Ben Burt could be cutting the audio on reel one, two, and three while the editors are working on reel four, five, and six. And they could bring John Williams in to do the music on the earlier reels that are edited while still making editing changes to other reels later in the picture. And I find it super duper interesting how much these reels for the original trilogy do have in common when we start getting into them. And I, I feel like it goes back to a lot of like what we talked about. It's, it's something we touched on way back in episode 183 from October 2018, where we talked about the lost cut of Star Wars and the footage that's out there of this version of Star Wars before it was faster and more intense, where it was paced almost more like a real movie and edited more like a, a 1970s movie and not Star Wars, which when Star Wars came out, people were just like, this movie is moving so quick. But now we're so used to that Star Wars pace, and now every movie almost has that Star Wars pace. Movies are just faster than they used to be. But then when we see... Something like the train chase in Book of Boba Fett, Episode 2, The Tribes of Tatooine, and some of those cuts in that train chase are so fast. When we, when we all walked away from that train chase scene in that episode, and people said that felt so Star Wars, I couldn't help thinking that part of what made it feel so Star Wars was that really rapid pace of editing that was going on. There's just something about that very particular Star Wars pace. Well, and we'll see as we go through the movies too, that kind of that organizational structure of the original Star Wars kind of carries over to the other two films and kind of part of the Star Wars feel is the way the reels are organized. There's a great interview with Paul Hirsch where he talks about how difficult it is with delivering the kind of pace of a Star Wars movie and letting the audience know enough information along the way so that the story doesn't get completely lost in what the characters are doing, where they're going. Our problems in the first part of the film were making the information clear that they needed. And I think to... to George did a, he, he took the first three reels and, which essentially had been, uh, when I had done with them, was simply assemble the scenes uh, as they were shot in the order that they were in the script without, and I left it at that, I just sort of went on to other things without even, uh, I hadn't gotten to the next step yet really. So George took the next step, which is to look at it and see how it works as a piece and uh, 
try to analyze the problems, rearrange a few things, move the scene here, move the scene, you know, rearrange the order of scenes, eliminated some things, uh, added some shots that we hadn't had, uh, some some uh, miniature shots, and uh, we looked at what he had done, and some problems uh, became evident at that point. Also, uh, the problem was also that we had too much information. And uh, an audience has no way of evaluating what information is important and what is not unless we give it a certain emphasis and focus. And I think the problem that we just resolved in the last pass through was we focused the story much more and uh, simplified, sort of streamlined the information so that we weren't distracting the audience with a lot of information that really didn't matter. And I don't know, I still love seeing it exist even in Star Wars TV. I mean, I think of all the visual storytelling that's going on right now in Book of Boba. I know we're bringing up Book of Boba a lot because it's, it's, it's all fresh in our brains right now. But you can just see that that pace, the visual storytelling, the delivery of information in a very efficient, quick way. And I know we've talked about it many times before. I mean, Star Wars is a lot of ingredients to make it work. And there's the visual effects and there's John Williams music and there's Ben Burt and company's sound work. But also one of the most underrated aspects of what makes Star Wars work is that editing style and the unique, crazy, insane pace. said, we're having a screening of Phantom this week. You got to come out here. The excitement is amazing. We went to a screening on the lot. And there was a reception afterwards. I was talking to a young woman. She was Marsha Lucas. And she said, oh, you're the editor? Come. George wants to meet you. So she grabs him by the hand. She pulls me through the crowd of people. Anyway, he said, I really liked your work. I said, well, that's nice. Thank you very much. And that was that. Brian and George had become friends because they had worked at Warner Brothers in 1971 at the same time. And they were the only directors on the lot who had beards. So anyway, I went on and I did carry. A few weeks later, I got a call from Marsha saying, can you come help us out on Star Wars? I think we worked separately for a while. I was given the last third of Luke's final trench run. Marsha and I and George spent about three or four days until we finally locked the sequence. I never saw the picture while I was working on it. I say, George, I'd like to sit down and run the whole picture. He said, no, 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 we don't have time. Just take the next reel. So every reel was a surprise to me. I don't think there's any way anyone working on Star Wars could have known or predicted what became of it. The fact that it's now so significant, even 35 years later, I don't know that of other films that have had such an impact on the culture. So I think we've got to just start diving into it, talking about the ends of each reel of the original trilogy. We're talking about the pre-special edition versions, because when you start getting into special editions, everything changed. Nothing against special editions. You know, you know, we love special editions. <laughs> yeah, if anything, the, the timings of these are, are slightly different. And there were, I mean, the, the special editions were shown 
on film. So there are real changes in them. But we got to give a huge shout out to Space Hunter M on YouTube, where we thanked him before because Space Hunter M also provided us with the the information on the mono mixes of A New Hope and Jedi. And Space Hunter M is a friend we have never met because he or she posted videos of the Q marks of the original trilogy. And we will have the links to those in this episode's show notes. And also, we should probably give shout-outs to the original Star Wars editors. Paul Hirsch, Richard Chu, Marsha Lucas, the wonderful Marsha Lucas, and Dwayne Dunham. All of them superstars and the the secret ghost editor of all of those films, the one and only George Lucas. Maybe you've heard of him. Eating a, a sandwich with no crust. <laughs> this is my happy place. Just making cuts. Well, and just as important as the... Real change at the end of each reel is what scene starts the next reel. So we'll be getting into both of that of what is each reel, where does it start, where does it end, and what does it mean? So let's dive into it. We're talking about reel one. Let's start with Star Wars A New Hope. The end of reel one, we've got 3PO and R2 going into the homestead hut... Now, don't you forget this. Why I should stick my neck out for you is quite beyond my capacity. We're about at the 18, 19 minute mark. Empire Strikes Back. You got the rebel dudes talking. Group 7 and 10 stay behind to fly the speeders. Group 7 and 10 will stay behind to fly the speeders. As soon as each transport is loaded, evacuation control will give clearance for immediate launch. Right, sir. Return the Jedi. Chewie is being put into the jail cell in the basement of Jabba's palace. Now you may be saying to yourself, what do these three scenes have in common? We say a lot. Gabe, what do you think? Star Wars and Return of the Jedi both end the first reel with kind of, you could say the the main characters are kind of back together. And they're both walking through a door (laughs) into the dark. I don't know. (laughs) Very true. Now think about this. In Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, the very next scene for both of them is the introduction of Princess Leia. And in both films, in Star Wars and Return of the Jedi, when Leia is introduced, suddenly the plot gets going. In Star Wars, it's the hologram. And the movie kicks into the next level. In Jedi, Bosch, Bosch, Leia shows up. They unthaw Han. The movie gets going. Now, in Empire, we've already had Luke with the Wampa. We're about to go into the Battle of Hoth. Vader is about to land on Hoth. Again, we're at a critical moment where the movie is about to get going. All the setup has been placed, and now the plot is going off to the next level. I would argue in all three films, at this exact moment. Well, and it's interesting when you compare the three, two that you can see how each film kind of built on the previous one, where in real two of A New Hope, we're introduced to Leia, and the plot kind of gets, gets moving, but by Empire Strikes Back, they kind of up the ante, and when Real 2 starts moving, it is the 
and at Snow Battle on Hoth. And then by Return of the Jedi, it's like all the Jabba's sail barge action. So it's not enough to just get the, get the story going. It's a Star Wars movie. It's got to get some serious action going. Yeah, which is great because at the end of Real One for Star Wars and Jedi, there's that the Leia comparison. But Empire and Jedi into Real Two, Empire has the Battle of Hoth. Yeah, Jedi has the sail barge battle almost in the exact same time frame, like right smack dab in the middle of real two where star Wars like doesn't have a battle in there, but kind of does have in that same kind of area, Obi-Wan and Luke talking about the force. So what we're learning is real two is when you got to kick up the action a little bit. Put the pieces on the board in real one, but real two, you got to shake things up and and get a little bit of little bit of spice into the mix. And it's like the, it's that Star Wars pace that we were talking about, where it's a gradual building, 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 building. By the time you get yeah to that real two, that thirty roughly or so twenty five minute mark of the movie, you've got the big moment. Yeah, weirdly, kind of a new hope is the one that's a little bit more tame. It's And it's odd to, for I think, for me to, like, analyze Star Wars A New Hope in this way, because you're just like, oh, yeah. When you compare it to all the other ones, even the prequels, too, and the sequels, and Solo and Rogue One, that first half of the movie, there's not, like, the big <laughs> action scene. But there's no way you could in Star Wars. There's, like, big talk. But that's the neat thing with everything coming after it is it's still kind of the the template is the same. It's just what happens at each in each reel is just even faster and more intense than the previous movie. It's all building. All, each movie is becoming more faster and more intense. Where eventually we're just going to get a Star Wars movie where everyone's just going to be talking at super high speed. I wouldn't be surprised. There's going to be an episode of some show on Disney Plus where it's just going to be like an old Keystone Cops thing where people are just running around in high speed chasing cars. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised. That's when George Lucas, everyone's like, oh, maybe George Lucas is going to direct an episode of the TV show. That, he's going to come back and it's just going to be all in high speed. It's experimental stuff I wanted to do my whole life. It's just all, mo- it's all motion blur. Okay, let's move on to the end of Real 2. Star Wars, it's the end of the Imperial meeting. Now, Lord Vader will provide us with the location of the Rebel Fortress by the time this station is operational. We will then crush the rebellion with one swift stroke. When I went to go see A New Hope 11 times in two days, after a while, when I started to go insane, by the time I was on like showing seven, eight, and nine, I would just look forward to certain small things and Tarkin saying that line was something I was like, I can just hold on a little bit longer and hear Tarkin say that. It's the little things that keep you going. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah. It sure was. It wasn't the trash compactor. It was Tarkin crushed the rebellion. Well, and we, we go out of real two, even though there was some, some action is the bad guys know what they need to do. We know what they want to do. Vader's found the rebel base and Tarkin is ready to, take charge and they're going to get the rebels now and the rebels better watch out going into real three empire strikes back end of real two luke crashes on dagobah (laughs) 
Now, what's fascinating is the end of reel two for Return of the Jedi, Luke is going to Dagobah. I have a promise to keep to an old friend. Coincidence? That's kind of crazy, where the end of each reel is, like, one, it's him crashing, and the next one is him, oh, let's just go to Dagobah. Yeah, I've got a promise to keep to an old friend. So then in Star Wars, though, the very next scene after the Crusher Rebellion of One Swift Stroke, it's, I've never heard, heard them hit anything this big before. Look, there's gaffy sticks, bantha tracks. Again, it's kind of the end of each reel is a turning point for Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy. It's at that moment in Star Wars that he makes a realization that probably his aunt and uncle are dead. He's got no choice. He wants to go to Alderaan. He wants to become a Jedi like his father. It's the next step in Luke's journey. And holy smokes, look at Empire. He's crashing on Dagobah. It's the next step of Luke's journey. Jedi, he's he's got a promise to keep to an old friend. It's the next step in his journey. That's kind of wild. Well, and it's also kind of tonally the movie after the the ramp up in action in Reel 2. Reel 3 kind of pulls it back a little bit, and it also slightly becomes more of a challenge for the heroes, bringing everything down so they have somewhere to build back up to. They find the dead Jawas. Luke learns his aunt and uncle have been killed in Dagobah. He crashes. He doesn't know how he's going to get out of the planet. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know who Yoda is. And Jedi kicking it to the next level. At the beginning of Real 3, the Emperor shows up, really letting you know things things are getting serious and it's not all sunshine and rainbows for the heroes at the beginning of Real 3. It's, again, just like the end of real one, the end of real two for each film is that turning point in the story. Because yeah, with Jedi, it's like, Oh my God, Luke's going back to Dagobah. What's going to happen? And Oh my God, it's the emperor. There's no bigger deal than that for them to deal with. Well, and in star Wars, his, his aunt and uncle are dead. He's got no place to go anymore. This is his future. And in empire it, yeah, he's going to find, the great Jedi Master Yoda. Like, what does this mean? Where's this going to go? I know where we've got to go. I think we've got to go on to the end of Real 3 now. Star Wars, end of Real 3. It's the end of Luke's kind of training with the remote on the Falcon. You know, I did feel something. That's good. Take the first step to a larger world. You know, I did feel something. I could almost see the remote. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Empire Strikes Back. Luke is going into the cave. Return of the Jedi. It is literally right before the speeder bike chase. I see them. Wait, Leia! Hey, wait! You might say, okay, maybe you guys had something with some of the other ones. I don't see the connection in the end of Real 3, beginning of Real 4. You guys are making this up. Y'all are crazy. And to that, I say, no, no, no. Well, one thing, if you compare Star Wars and Empire, is they're kind of mirror images of each other, where Real 3 ends 
in A New Hope with Luke starting to feel the Force and beginning his journey as a Jedi, where the end of Real 3 is kind of the opposite of that, where he's kind of regressing as a Jedi as he goes into the cave and brings his weapons and sees the vision of himself as Vader. It's kind of the same moment, but in reverse. I was taken out of it too. They're going into kind of darkness at this moment where Luke has just taken his first step into a larger world. And then literally that's interrupted with the Falcon's alarm going off as they're entering the remains of the Alderaan system and they find the Death Star. And then Luke going into the cave, yeah, is kind of going into the darker aspects of learning about the Force. And it's almost like as they're approaching the Death Star, it's like the presence of Darth Vader, the looming threat of Darth Vader. Someone watching that movie for the first time, you're just like, oh my God, Darth Vader's on there. Don't go there. And going into the cave, it's like, oh, Darth Vader's in there. And if you're learning about the Force, is Luke going to be able to control the dark side? Will Luke go to the dark side? And even though they throw the speeder bike chase in there to to add some excitement, we still end the speeder bike chase with everyone thinking Leia is dead. As much as Jedi might seem different because there's an extra action scene in there, that action scene, story-wise, leads to the same place of something dark happens, is Leia dead? Nobody knows where she is. When Jedi being the longest of the original trilogy at two hours, 11 minutes, it kind of moves the speeder bike action scene to a little bit later where we can't forget too, that within real three of the empire strikes back is the asteroid chase where you kind of just get done with the battle of Hoth. You leave Hoth and then there's this other spectacular action scene. You could easily make a line connecting that action scene of the asteroid chase and the speeder bike chase. It's a chase right dead center in the middle of the movie. Well, and also the emperor makes his appearance in real three in both empire and return of the Jedi as well. He's a real three kind of guy. Palpatine's kind of guy that, you know, he'll show up once the party's gotten started. He's not going to be there in the beginning. You don't, you don't do that. People show up and they're like, where's Palpatine? You make him wait for him. He's fashionably late. Oh, he doesn't show up until at least real three. So let's move on to the end of real four. Star Wars, A New Hope. Luke pops up out of the dirty trash water. Help him! What happened? I don't know! I told you he disappeared! Which again, when I did the special edition... 11 times in two days, that trash compactor was brutal to get through. Just brutal. That was as almost maybe I was like, I don't, I don't know if I like star Wars anymore. <laughs> well, this, the sound doesn't help in that part either. Cause the sound is very claustrophobic with, and then when the walls start closing, I don't think I could listen to that sound over and over again all day for two days and not start to go crazy. It was rough. It was really, really rough. I was just just telling myself, I, it's not too far, and we'll get to the, the Death Star battle, and everything will be okay. Okay, Empire Strikes Back. End of Real 4. Luke is taken off from Dagobah. Obi-Wan, that boy is our last hope. And then, no, there is another. Now, matches are worse. That boy is our last hope. No, there is another. 
Return of the Jedi. Han is talking to C-3PO. We need our weapons back. They're now part of the tribe. We need some fresh supplies, too. Try and get our weapons back. Hurry up, will you? I haven't got all day. So I don't know about this one. Gabe, what do you think? What is the connecting thread of End of Real Force for the original trilogy? It's kind of the end of Real Four is things go from bad to worse because Luke is getting strangled by a tentacle monster that lets him go, which isn't actually a good thing because that means the trash compactor is about to start. Luke leaves Dagobah, which is not a good thing because he's leaving in the middle of his training. He's not ready. Although it seems like a good thing that they've been accepted by the Ewoks. They're part of the tribe. The next scene, really the end of real four is important when you start real five, because that goes into the Luke Leia talk about Vader being their father. It's another part where the movie things get down, they get dark. So there's somewhere to build up for the end of the movie. It's wild when you compare, yeah, the beginning of real five. Yeah. Empire and Jedi, because yeah, the, in Jedi, the next scene is, do you remember your mother, your real mother? And then Empire, it's Luke flying to Bespin, but then it's Han and Leia talking, and Leia, something's wrong. You know, 3PO's been gone too long. We know 3PO has gotten blown up. We know that maybe we're starting to get the feeling that Cloud City isn't quite what it appears to be. There's this looming kind of, yeah, it's going from bad to worse kind of looming threat that our heroes are in in both films. And I would say that's true in Star Wars, too, where Star Wars is maybe the goofiest of the three and the the odd one with its own unique kind of crazy pace where they've got to get off the Death Star before Vader finds them. And they're kind of stuck in this trash compactor. And oh, no, there's also, yeah, this snake monster in the trash compactor. And oh, no, also the walls are closing in. Right. And with, you know, with Real Five and Empire Strikes Back, as soon as we get to the Cloud City stuff, the very next scene, Lando takes them to dinner with Darth Vader and Boba Fett. They're captured. Return of the Jedi, as soon as Luke and Leia are done with their talk, he gives himself up and he's captured by Darth Vader. In A New Hope, they're already more or less captured, but they run into Vader on the way out of the Death Star. If the Empire's a real three-man, Vader saves his uh, his best moves for real five. And this is kind of what we were going into with the 100-minute mark. This, this is kind of the beginning of the part of the movie where things have to kind of get bad for the heroes so that they can kind of turn things around in real six. So, yeah, and then I think that leads us to the end of Real 5. So let's talk about the end of Real 5 for Star Wars. Han's about to take off. What are you looking at? I know what I'm doing. We have a droid being lowered into a ship. We're getting ready for the assault on the Death Star. Empire Strikes Back. The Luke-Vader fight on Bespin. Luke kicks Vader off a platform. Return of the Jedi. (laughs) A wonderful scene where Ewoks are being dragged along by the foot of an (laughs) ATST. 
think these are fun because they're similar while different. Real Five ends in New Hope with Han and Chewie, friends and heroes, leaving before the big battle. Where Return of the Jedi, Real Five ends with the Ewoks showing up, friends joining the big battle. And Real Five ends in Empire with really the one part of the duel where Luke has isn't winning. He ends Real Five kind of winning against Vader. Almost, again, maybe similar, more similar to Return of the Jedi where it's kind of kind of ending real five with things on the on the up and up where we definitely leave real five in a new hope kind of on a downer with han and chewy leaving but we're excited for luke so maybe the balance is out well kind of jedi with the ewoks being dragged along by the foot of the atst it's all kind of going wrong at that moment it's like i don't know if the ewoks are going to be able to take down the empire and what's going on with the space battle at that point so the space battle hasn't started yet at the end of Real Five, but that is the Rebel fleet would have just showed up. And then, yeah, it's a trap, and all craft pull up. So really it seems like if there's a common element to the end of Real Five going into Real Six is uncertainty. There's maybe some good, there might be some bad, and they're balancing each other out, and you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. Are the Rebels going to be able to do it without Han and Chewie? I don't know. Is Luke going to be able to defeat Vader? I don't know. You know, the Ewoks are helping out, but are they going to make a difference? And what's going on with the Death Star? And what's going on with Luke and Vader and the Emperor? We're we're going into real six with uncertainty. It's the point where it's very clear we're at the conclusion. We're at the, the final parts of the movie. But yeah, it's, well, I don't know. The odds don't seem very good here before we get to the triumphant turn of events. It is a very similar moment across all three. Yeah, and this is one of the things that makes them feel like a Star Wars movie, is you know, and you you kind of subconsciously feel it, You've it's like roughly two hours in, and now stuff is getting crazy, and the movie's building to this outrageous climax. And what's wild, too, is that... Reel 6 is the final reel for Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, where we have the big the battle against the Death Star, Luke versus Vader, I'm your father. But Jedi, because Jedi is the longest of the original trilogy at two hours, 11 minutes, like we said, Jedi's got a whole nother reel. Because the end of Reel 6 for Return of the Jedi is... What the the super star destroyer crash with Akbar taking his very relaxing flop into his seat, which is just such a wonderful, wonderful moment. Well, just it goes to show you that the end of Return of the Jedi with with the Luke Invader stuff, the space stuff, the Endor stuff. It's just there's so much going on that they couldn't fit it all into one reel and it had to spill over into a seventh reel. It's a Return of the Jedi. There's no comparison. You can't compare it to any of the other movies. <laughs> you can, you know, it follows the structure for most of it. But then by the time you get to the ending of Return of the Jedi, and as we've said over and over and over again, the ending of Return of the Jedi is besides the entire movie of Attack of the Clones, which we're going to be getting into next week, some of the most important Star Wars that's ever happened. It set the course for all Star Wars afterwards. 
And so you just you can't compare that ending of Return of the Jedi. What can you compare it to? I don't know. Like walking down the street and finding a million bucks in the middle of the road. Maybe. That's the only thing I can think compare it to. Free pizzas for a year. That's the ending of Return of the Jedi. A pizza wrapped in a million dollars. The only thing that could be better. Unlimited pizza rolls. Pizza rolls filled with gold coins. <laughs> well, then you can eat the pizza rolls. That'd be a curse. Uh, you could eat the outside. Well, that's true. Just the crispy shell. That's You can go buy some sauce with your gold. That's the ending of Return of the Jedi. Because, yeah, you think of Return of the Jedi, you got Vader taking off the helmet. That happens. You got Wedge not breaking a sweat when he blows up the Death Star. You still got the burning of the suit, the party on Endor. There's a lot of gold in that ending of Return of the Jedi. Real Seven is, yeah, they saved all the good bits for that special golden Real Seven at the end of Return of the Jedi. Just imagine if somebody was talking about this stuff in 1983 and before Jedi came out, and if like there was a rumor, like somebody who works at a theater in the projection room is just like, Hey guys, return. The Jedi has a real seven. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure this, this conversation happened, which there's a great story in the late, great Jonathan Rensler's making of return. The Jedi, right? Where it was a showing in New York, right? Where the reels for return of the Jedi got mixed up. Yeah. In the book, he says on long Island, New York, a full house of, 1,150 people noticed that the movie jumped from reel three, so the start of the speeder bike chase, to reel five, Luke and Leia talking about Vader. I see them. Wait, Leia! Hey, wait! Luke, what's wrong? Leia, do you remember your mother? Your real mother? <laughs> you know, and I bet there were people that's like, these movies are crazy. These movies move at a wild pace. They're probably trying to keep up for a while. <laughs> but the book goes on to say they began swearing and stomping their feet and demanding refunds. <laughs> One moviegoer says there were a lot of people talking about wringing somebody's neck. Star Wars fans. <laughs> you know, I mean, unruly bunch sometimes, but this, this still gives me flashbacks of i think i've talked about this on the show before the people who went drove from kansas or something to chicago to see attack of the clones digital and when a mace windu comes out and says the party's over the projector broke and they <laughs> and they then they weren't able to fix it somewhere they're still telling that story yeah they were they were ready to wring somebody's neck too so it happens digital projectors digital technology the age of the real is now a thing of the past Movies are just projected digitally. There aren't, there aren't the little cue marks in the corner. Well, and it'll, it will be really interesting when we do this breakdown for the prequels because all three of the prequels were shown on film. They were distributed to theaters with the same reels. And it'll be interesting how much those follow this pattern or don't. Right, or do they follow a pattern within themselves, or do they match up with the original trilogy? It'll be it'll be fun to see. So, Gabe, yeah, looking back on the pacing, the reels, the structure of the original trilogy, what have we learned? What are, what are we taking away from all this? There is definitely a Star Wars structure. 
And not to say other movies don't have similar structure, but within at least the original trilogy films, there is a Star Wars structure that is kind of based around this process of working on films and reels. And it's something that contributed to what makes these movies feel like they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's something I think you could apply this probably to the Indiana Jones movies. It's probably very similar. And like I said, in the very beginning, I think part of this unique structure and pace, I think like in times like the Mandalorian or book of Boba Fett or in rogue one or solo or the sequel films, I, I think it's something that we all feel I wish I was watching all these movies with a stopwatch. Maybe one day I'll get to that level. It's like the people at baseball games listening to the radio announcers and keeping little scorecards while they watch the baseball games. I always have great amounts of respect for those people. But maybe one day when Star Wars comes back on the big screen, I can bring a stopwatch and time it all out and be like, fascinating. We're at one, one hour, 38 minutes, and it's following it perfectly. Something to aspire to. Well, that's a good way to keep uh, a seat to yourself. Just, you know, put a stack of notebooks on each side of you. Anyone comes down the aisle, I'm doing research. You don't want to sit here. Unless you want to take notes for me. (laughs) Let me explain the cue marks and the real breakdowns here for you. Desert Fortress of Jabba the Hutt. To the Death Star of the Galactic Empire. To the Forest City of the Ewoks. This is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga. Remember the Force. Rejoice in the triumph. Return of the Jedi. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater in your galaxy. This is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dulan, Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Blast Points with Jason and Gabe. May the Force be with you always. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. listening you know the deal with apple podcast reviews if you're listening to this on some sort of apple something or other go over there write something nice about blast points about this episode about any episode it helps the show it helps us move up those weird apple podcast charts it helps people when they search star wars on apple podcasts it helps blast points come up 
And most of all, we love reading your reviews. And if you listen on Spotify, it's super easy. All you got to do is just leave us a little star review and it helps us move up those Spotify charts. And after that, make sure you're checking out our website, blastpointspodcast.com with the handy search feature if you're looking for a back episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're a member of our chill group. If you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where every single week we are doing episode recaps for the book of Boba Fett. It's been insane. We just over the weekend had our recap for episode three, The Streets of Mos Espa. Holy smokes. Oh, boy. We're taking we're taking it to the streets. <laughs> taking it to the streets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, the bottom line is there's a lot to talk about with the book of Boba Fett. And, yeah, over there on the Blast Points Army on Patreon is where it's happening. If you're listening, if you're one of the, the many new folks that have signed up in the last couple of weeks, we thank you all so much. And, yeah, you should... Join up if you want so you can hear all the silliness going on over there and like 80 other bonus episodes. There's a lot of stuff on there. And if you're curious what the stuff on Patreon is like, we have put everything, all of our episodes from 2019 are free. So if you go over to the Patreon and want to check those out, you can. That's the entire first season of Mandalorian, a bunch of Matrix stuff, other movie stuff. It's all there for you to check out. But that about wraps up number 295 here. Yeah, like we said, we're back. It's going to be a busy year. You're going to be hearing from us a lot this year. We had our time saying goodbye to our families before we go off to Star Wars. Heading off to the Star Wars. And speaking of going off to the Star Wars, next week is the first episode of Attack of the Clones year, AOTC year. Got a lot of fun stuff planned. Can't wait to dive into Tack the Clones Madness, celebrating the 20th anniversary of that underrated, bizarre masterpiece, Attack of the Clones. AOTC is where you want to be, and we will be there with you. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We're happy to be back. We're happy you're back, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Ha, ha, ha.